I'm looking tonight in the eighth psalm, Psalm 8. And uh, as you're on your way there, let me say how much I appreciate <clears throat> a church family that prays and remembers one another in prayer. <clears throat> Gwen told me tonight she was going to text Grace, and for whatever reason, Grace is her daughter, for whatever reason, she's, you know, doing what we do when we text somebody in my name, popped up on her phone. My name doesn't start with a G, doesn't have a G in it that I'm aware of, so I, I don't know why, but she said, I thought, well, your, his name popped up, I'll pray for him. And Iris said, that's strange, his name popped up on my phone today too, so I prayed for him. So I don't know what's going on with y'all's phones, but I'm grateful. I appreciate the prayers, and uh, for whatever reason, Ira was wondering, you know, either what I have been into or, or what kind of help I needed today. We need help every day, don't we? Um, the Lord knows what we need, and uh, you can't help but wonder sometimes if somebody is praying for you, if it's not a preventative strike, you know, against Satan. And so thank you for your prayers. And I remind you again, you've got that long prayer list. We, had, we touched just a fraction of them tonight, didn't we? And let's take those home and make sure that we're on our knees before the Lord with those things. Uh, the eighth Psalm, <clears throat> the scripture says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, and the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Back in the 60s when we were putting men on the moon, uh, we were leaving souvenirs up there. Um, if, if you're of a certain age, you may remember watching on a black and white TV that sort of cloudy image of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin as they took those first steps on the moon. And you remember at one point they planted that aluminum, I think it is, flag, maybe titanium, and, and they, they left a few other things there. And among the things that they left was a silicone tablet with this psalm written on it. Can you believe that? The United States government foisted up money to be able to leave a passage of scripture on the moon in case somebody else should ever find it. Uh, but what a great passage to leave there. Uh, when I consider, the scripture says, the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. In some small way, um, our government, officially or otherwise, was recognizing the fact that there is a creator and there is a God to whom we are obligated and there is a God who has done great things. Somebody has suggested this psalm must have been written at night uh, because the psalmist talks about what he sees in the skies. Well, David is the psalmist, so whether he wrote it at night or maybe as he wrote it, he was just thinking back of those days as a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. Um, there are times that I wish I lived in a different place. Now, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I'm not moving. Don't misunderstand me. But as somebody who enjoys the night sky and occasionally taking pictures of the night sky, this is not the place to take pictures of the night sky. Uh, if you ever go online, you can look at a, a map of the world and, and the various um, uh, relative amounts of light in different places in the world. And the eastern United States is just lit up like a Christmas tree almost everywhere. 
When you go out to the West, you see these large black spaces, dark areas. In fact, some states have worked very hard to maintain those dark areas. And if you go to areas in Utah or Montana, and you get out of town, and you get out of your car and you shut off the lights, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you look up and you see the night sky, and it is breathtaking. Uh, it, the, 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 the blackness of the sky and the brilliance of those stars, and so many, so many stars, and you almost have that sense that you could reach up and touch them, right? You're just, you're overwhelmed with that. And I have been at places where people have seen that, and they notice it for the first time, and you literally hear an audible gasp as they see what's going on over their heads. Um, we've all been at some point, I think, and seen a sunrise or a sunset, and you just pause for a minute to soak it in. And you realize God is this divine artist who has brought colors out of his palette that we could have only imagined, right, to, to paint the sky in that moment. And I, I know the physicists will explain to us that that's nothing but the reflection and refraction of light and certain temperatures of light bended into the particles, I, blah, blah, I know. But it's our God who put all of that together so that those things work in those ways. Um, if you've held a, a newborn infant, one that wasn't there a minute ago and is there now, well, how did that happen? And look at those eyes that work so well and those little tiny fingers that are already moving, right? The Bible says that God has revealed himself through the creation. This passage of scripture talks about that glorious, majestic, excellent is the word that it uses, God. And then it talks about his creation, us, and the relationship between the two. And so I want us to just focus in a little bit tonight to see what the psalmist had to say and what the Holy Spirit has to say through this psalm. He, he starts by talking about the excellent glory of God. And we would notice, first of all, just in verse number one, that he is glorious because he is our Lord. Um, let's slow down a little bit. O Lord, our Lord. Um, those are only four words, right? And one of them is just a letter, so it's three letters in a word. But, but if you look carefully, you'll notice that one of those lords is spelled differently than the other one of those lords. Did you notice that? Now, you're all Bible scholars, so you know when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in the Old Testament in all capital letters, you know that what we're seeing there is the covenant name of God. I am that I am. Uh, we say it Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, that's the name that the Lord told Moses that he could use when he went to Pharaoh, you remember. The second Lord, small letters, L-O-R-D. It's the Hebrew word Adonai. It means Lord or Master or God. It's a word that speaks of authority. It's a word that speaks of power. Uh, the first Lord, all capitals, uh, that's a word that speaks of a relationship. And so the psalmist begins by saying, O Lord, our Lord. You that we have this relationship with, you that knows our name, and, and we who know your name because you've been gracious enough to tell us who you are, you are our God. You are our authority. You are our sovereign. Um, how excellent, he goes on to say, is thy name in all the earth. Now, see, we've read that a thousand times, but we haven't paused to think for just a minute. He's talking about God's name. How wonderful is that name, Jehovah? because it reminds us that God wants to have a relationship with his people. God wants to have a relationship with his creation. How excellent is that name? Um, his name and his glory is greater than his creation. Um, you have set thy glory in the heavens. We can read down in verse number um, 
3, when I consider the heavens, the, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, all of those things, the Bible says God has set his glory above those things. Um, the creation, as marvelous as it is, with those brilliant stars and those beautiful sunsets and the, the, the miracle of a birth, all of those things, none of those things can adequately praise our God. We can look at the stars and, and we can be taken with the fact that our God is great and mighty and powerful. But that's all the stars can tell us about God. We can look at that infant and we can say, well, our God is, is, is detailed and our God is compassionate and our God is merciful to make such a tiny thing. But that's all that baby can tell us about God. There is no part of God's creation that can speak entirely of and exhaust his glory. Why? Because he made all of it, therefore he's greater than all of it. And so when we look at those stars and we consider his handiwork and we consider all of those things that he's done, it's a beginning point for his praise, but it's not the ending point of his praise. It's also interesting, the psalmist says, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Um, I would remind you that when this psalm was written a thousand years before Christ, not everybody who was on the earth believed in the same God that the Hebrews believed in. There were all sorts of gods. There were all sorts of ways of worshiping. And, and David was not um, politically correct. He didn't say, how great is our God? Your name is excellent among us. He said, your name is excellent among all the earth. Whether they know you or not, whether they recognize you or not, your greatness extends because your creation extends to that point. Since he has set his glory above the heavens, nothing under heaven can adequately praise him. When David finished up the temple, or when Solomon finished up the temple, and they began the process of moving into it. Um, in the middle of that processional, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse number 27, we read these words, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. If the heaven and the heaven of the heavens, uh, we would talk about that now in our astronomical terms, right? The heavens, well, the sky that we can see, and then we know beyond that there is outer space. He says, if all of those things can't contain the greatness and the glory and the majesty of our God, how far short will we fall, he said, in this temple that we have built to do that same thing? How great is our God? But then we find this surprising thing, uh, beginning down in verse number 3 and 4. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the son of man that thou visitest him. God, as great as you are, as mighty as you are, as powerful as you are, why do you even pay any attention to us? Um, I have ants in my yard. Do you? Um, I have the bad ants in my yard. You know what I'm talking about? The red ones, yeah. Those, those nasty ones. The ones you don't dare step on, you don't get near. Uh, in my yard, the red ones have bred with the black ones. So now I can't trust any of them. They're, they're, all, they're all out to get me. And I'll be honest with you, before I moved to South Carolina, I didn't really care about ants. I didn't think about ants. Now, when I was a little tiny kid, I did because we'd pick them up and we'd do mean things to them, right? You remember those days? But I, I, didn't, I don't walk down the street going, where's an ant? I'd love to see an ant. If I could just spend my day today seeing an ant, what a wonderful thing it will be. Now, of course, I go, where are the ants? Where's my ortho? We're taking care of this, right? It's, I'm on a mission. But I am so much more like that ant than my God is like me, yet he takes the time to think about me, 
And I don't think for a minute about the ants or the stink bugs or whatever else it is that's out there living in my yard. And David said, when I consider his greatness, when I consider his glory, why does he spend 10 seconds thinking about us? And it's not just who man is, but the fact that he is mindful of us and he visits us. Uh, this idea of visiting us means that God has some uh, exchange, that God has some interaction with mankind. We talked about this a week ago, right? God didn't just create the world, wind the watch, and let it go. He is intimately aware of everything that's going on. If he weren't, we just wasted the last half hour. But we come to the Lord and we ask him these things because we know he wants to hear from us. He wants to have this conversation with us. And so we open his word and we read it because we believe he has a message for us. And we believe that the message that we get from his word tonight is just as valuable as it was 3,000 years ago when these words were first written. God inspired his word through his servant David so that it could be a blessing and a benefit to us tonight in Fort Mill, South Carolina in 2023. Because we need to be reminded that we serve a great and glorious God. Not only a great and glorious God, but a loving and compassionate and engaged God. Um, the Bible says that God has not only glorified himself, but he has given man glory. So in my notes, I have written the excellent glory of God. And my second point here is the surprising glory of man. Why should God pay any attention, let alone glory, put any glory on us? Look down at verse number 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Look back up at verse number one. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. So God has set his glory above the heavens. And yet to his creation, us peewees, God has crowned us with glory and honor. Why do we read that? God created man, we all know, in his own, what's the word? Image. That doesn't mean that we look like God, right? God doesn't have a body. We don't know what God looks like. Uh, it doesn't mean that he made us as smart as he is. God knows everything. We know almost nothing. Uh, God is all-powerful. We are weaklings. God can be everywhere at the same time at any time. Wouldn't that be a wonderful ability to have, to be in two places at once? We can't do that. We're limited by time and space. God never changes. We change. Look around. Some of you have known one another for a long time. Be honest. Did we all look like this when you first met us? No. Why? Because we change. Um, Harry realized he was changing when his vision wasn't what it used to be. And he didn't even know how much his vision had changed until he got it fixed again and said, oh, man, it, it might have been worse than I thought, right? We change. Some of you, when you get up in 20 minutes or so or whenever I decide that we're finished, you're going to make a noise. You might make two noises. There may be a noise that comes out of your mouth, uh, noise, and there may be some noises at various parts of your anatomy, right? Why? Because we've changed. Because when you were eight, you didn't make a noise. Man, you'd spring up in the chair, down in the chair, over the chair, under the chair. Your dad would say, sit still. The only noise you made would be the ow noise when he would grab you somewhere to make you sit still, right? But we've, we've changed. Um, we change our opinions. Some of you used to think things you no longer think, right? You've changed your opinion. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but some of you had a high school sweetheart before the one that you're sitting with right now. You changed, right? 
something changed. Aren't you glad our God doesn't change? Because he might have loved you one day and loved somebody else the next. But the Bible says he doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning with him. He is always the same. So God didn't make us in his image in that sense, but he made us in his image in many other ways. He made us in his image in the fact that we can communicate with him and with one another. We have the ability to talk and to communicate. Um, I, I've seen animals that I think are communicating, but boy, they really can't tell you what they want, can they? If you've been around that animal long enough, you may be able to work it out, but there's no conversation going on there. <clears throat> there's no logical thought progression going on there. Our communication skills are different. Uh, we have a spiritual side to us that uh, the animals don't have. God made us with this ability to have a relationship with him. Uh, the wolves cannot have a relationship with God. There's no spirit to them, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. But God made us then in this way. And so when he crowns us with glory and honor, the second thing that he does is he gives us dominion over a portion of his creation. Now think about that. Adam was not created until the Garden of Eden was finished, until the world was done, right? In fact, it was God who determined there was nobody there to till the garden. There was nobody there to care for the garden. And so God said, I'm going to make a man who can tend to this thing. How hard was it to tend to that garden? No weeds, no watering problems, right? But God said, I need, a, I need a person to do this. So when God created Adam, he set him into this perfect place, prepared for him. He gave him some responsibility. He gave him something to do. In fact, he said, not only are you in charge of this garden, but I'm going to give you dominion over all of the animals. When we read these closing verses in the psalm of the sheep and the oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the seas, whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas, you can almost hear Genesis chapter 1 ringing in your head, right? These are all of the responsibilities that God gave to Adam. And so when you and I walk through the woods and suddenly we hear the scurry of an animal running the other way, it's because he knows a human being has come into that place and he wants nothing to do with us. Why? Because God has created man with dominion over all of these things. This glorious creation. God has said, I'm going to share it with you. You're going to have some of the rule of it. Hmm. Why would he have done that? In this process of explaining this dominion, we see a hierarchy that God has established. Verse number five, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of his hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has put all things under his feet. Um, maybe I should have a blackboard. Sometimes we, we see better than we hear, right? Man has been made a little lower than the angels. And God has put everything under the feet of man. You with me? It's not too complicated, is it? So the animals are here. Man is here, a little lower than the angels. And the angels serve in the presence of God, right? So we know that. Theologians like to say that man is a mediating creature. It's a big fancy word that means we're somewhere between the angels and the animals. Um, the angels have spirits but no bodies, Right? Spirits, but no bodies. The animals, as we've already said, have bodies, but no spirits. What do you and I have? Well, we have both a spiritual side and, and we have a body, right? There's a, there's a material part of us, there's that which we can see tonight, and then there's that other part of us. God has put us there. 
Isn't it interesting that the scripture doesn't say that God has made you a little higher than the animals? He said he's made you a little lower than the angels. And he's put all this dominion under your feet. So I want you to think about where we are on the ladder. So you look right here. What do we have right here? The, the angels, right? You with me? I know. Dinner was a long time ago. And under our feet are the animals, right? Good. So which way do you suspect God expects us to be looking? We look toward him. I mean, we just had this whole passage that tells us about the handiwork and the sky and the sun and the right and, and all of this glory in his creation. And so we look up to him just a little past the angels, right? So that we might see him in whose image that we have been made so that we might understand how it is that we're supposed to exercise this authority, this rule that he has given to us. We keep looking to him so that we might become more and more like him. At least that's the plan, right? Look unto him all the ends of the earth. We're told over and over again that we are to put our face toward God. But man has determined at some point, I don't want to look in that direction. I don't like what I see there. Because what I see there is more glorious than me. And I don't like that. I like my glory. I like my position. I like what I have control over. Um... I've always felt bad for dogs that are members of households with small children for this reason. At some point, a small child, about a four-year-old, he figures out that that dog is supposed to listen to what he tells him to do. Have you seen a boy with a dog? Sit. The dog sits because the dog's been trained. Come here. The dog will move over here. Sit. And the dog will sit. And after a while, even the dog begins to figure out, he doesn't need me to do anything. He's just happy to be bossing somebody around. Because this little guy at four, the whole world is bossing him around, right? So he gets his chance to boss. Um, years ago, when I traveled a great deal, when, when you go to airports in other countries, they all have their own way of doing things. I, I may have shared this before, but this poor man, I'd seen him so many times, and he's visibly imprinted on my head. He worked at the counter for American Airlines in Caracas, Venezuela. He didn't work behind the counter. He worked in front. Uh, they had one of those long queuing lines, you know, like in a bank. And so you'd come. There might be 60 people, 100 people standing in that line waiting to get up there to get their ticket dealt with. This is the olden days, kids, when we used paper tickets. You remember? There was nothing. Yeah. He would stand at the front of that line, and he would keep his arm out like this. So that when you came up to where he was, when you finally snaked your way through this thing and you were waiting to see one of these six or seven ticket agents, you could not move until that man raised his arm up. And if you would slip out, boom, that arm would come down. And he would stand at attention. He was about four foot nothing. He wore a uniform. And he would watch those agents. And when one of them would raise their hand, he would snap that hand up. But if you tried to cross his arm, if you pushed his arm, he was right in your face. I mean, he'd buck up the best he could, and he would say to get back, the line, the line, get behind the line. And so you'd get behind the line. I traveled with a very large man from Mexico who was looking at him one day. He said, when I get up there, he said, I'm just going to bump that arm just so gently he won't know whether I did it on purpose or not. I'm just, I just want to see what he does. And I said, you know, this poor man probably has a life where nobody ever listens to anything he said. In my estimation, his wife was probably a larger woman with a strong will. His children were all teenagers that didn't want to hear it anymore. And this was the one place in the world, right, where he could put that arm out and we'd all have to listen. Give the man a break is what I was trying to say. 
mankind has figured out, you know what, if I look that way, I, I am beholden to that. I look this way, I can do what I want to do. Now, if we look into the face of God, we look into the eyes of God, we become more and more like him. We begin to reflect him more and more. What happens then when we begin to look at the animal kingdom and we spend all of our time looking down? We become more and more like them. You don't have to draw a really hard line to see where we've become or what we've become in our own society in the United States. We become more animal-like in everything. Life has no meaning anymore. It's the survival of the fittest in every sense. Uh, if, if I can't get what I want, I, I have a way of, you know, it's kill or be killed. It's uh, first man to the punch. It's, it's whatever it happens to be so that I can get ahead. You can see it, and I'm not talking necessarily about physical violence, but, but we can see it trying to get into line at, at uh, Harris Teeter. You can see it on the interstate when somebody's just going to, I'm going to shove myself into that place. You can see it when parents talk about their children. You can see it when employees talk about what their rights might be. We're always just going to fight and fight and fight and claw like a mad dog of wolf or mad pack of wolves so that we can get that thing that we want to get. Um, we've reached the point in our society when sexuality is no longer sacred. It's become animal-like. We are, and I hear this argument all the time, we are, after all, just animals. And so all we're doing is satisfying a basic animalistic need. Really? You see, our understanding of who we are draws a picture for us of what our understanding of what God is. And when we stand staring at the animal kingdom and we stand living saying, I will not look up, I will not see that glory, I will in fact assume the glory he has given me for my own purposes, we begin to sink to those depths. Quality of life is now measured by what your value is to somebody else. And we are getting closer and closer in our own society of being told, listen, I know how sick you are, but the fact of the matter is it just doesn't make economic sense to keep you alive anymore because you're of no value to anyone around you. That unborn child, that newly born child with that particular disease or this child that we've, you know, we've checked in the mother's womb and we see that there's some particular um, uh, syndrome or whatever they're going to have, that well, we can just abort that child and we can save everybody the problem. Really? Aren't you glad that somebody didn't make that decision about you? Um, I've known some people in my life who have some pretty severe handicaps and they've done some amazing things in spite of them. Here's the good news. God knew that we were going to turn our backs on him. God knew that we would look at that glory and we would say, it's too much for us, I, I want something else anyway, and he had another plan. You remember? In Philippians chapter 2, let's turn there. I know you know the words, but I want you to see it. Philippians, the second chapter. You know, you read that beautiful psalm and you see what great things God intended with his creation and in, in the crown of his creation, mankind itself. And we read the rest of scripture and we see how man has perverted that plan. What a blessing it is to know that God knew that it was going to happen and was prepared for it. Philippians chapter 2, I'll start reading in verse 5. And again, as I say, most of you know these verses well. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, the Bible says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He knew what his place was. 
He is the second person of the Godhead. He is God. He wasn't usurping some sort of authority that he didn't have by uh, positioning himself next to the Father on his right hand. But the Bible tells us that he willingly gave that up and he humbled himself and was made in the fashion of a man. Now let's go back and think about that ladder again. He was where? There. Superior to the angels. The book of Hebrews tells us that, right? And he humbled himself and became as one of us. And the Bible says that he humbled himself to the point that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself beyond the point of simply becoming a man. He came to be the sacrifice for all of mankind. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Let's read some familiar words there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Uh, The angels aren't in control of anything, not in this world, nor in the one to come. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Does that sound familiar? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Obviously, uh, the author of Hebrews is applying this eighth psalm now to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has come and all things will be put under his feet. And he says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. This world is not yet straightened out, is it? Um, this, this dominion that has been given to man, which man, by the way, in the Garden of Eden handed over to Satan. Uh, this disaster that we're living in the middle of, we can't say, well, obviously Christ is the Lord and judge and ruler in this moment. It's coming. Look at verse number, 10, uh, verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Crowned with glory and honor. Sound familiar? that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God knew, in spite of his great glory, God knew, in spite of the exalted place that he gave mankind in his creation, that mankind would fumble the ball. God knew before the foundations of the world that there would be a necessity for redemption. Uh, to bring back mankind, to bring back his creation, to set everything into its appropriate order. And so while you go out and you see the stars, and you see that brilliant sunset, or you hold that baby, or whatever that thing is that makes you say, how great is our God, it should immediately make us jump to the point of saying, in one day, all of this will be set under subjection. All of this will be under control. We ought to whisper a word of praise in that same moment. We sing that song, How Great Thou Art. I, I don't, I'm not a songwriter, but could we add a verse that said how great it's going to be? Well, we do. When Christ shall come, right, with shout of acclamation, how good it will be in that day to know that finally all of this has been set in order. So the question, I guess, for all of us is where are we? As believers, we ought to be praising God, looking at his glory. Uh, we ought to be taking that dominion that he has given to us and being faithful stewards with it. 
But maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I, I don't know. I don't have any relationship with this God. This God who's above the heavens seems all too far away to me. You tell me he's engaged. I, I have no relationship. I have no comfort in knowing that one day I'll be with him in heaven. Uh, you can know that tonight. Uh, the Bible tells us that we can have assurance of a home in heaven, assurance of a relationship with God just as surely as we know anything else. And so if you don't know the Lord tonight, I would invite you to speak with me, our pastors here. Almost anyone in this room can open a Bible and show you how you can have a relationship with God. And we'd love to do that tonight if we could. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for who you are, for the glory that we see in this creation. Your word tells us that these visible things make known to us the invisible things. And so tonight as we head out and we go to our homes, we may glance up and we may see a few stars, and they're a reminder of those heavens that you've created. They're a reminder of the creation order that you've established. They're a reminder of the fact that you are mindful of us. We do not deserve that. Thank you for your grace. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.